Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if working for the Lord and not for human masters. That is Colossians 3.23. Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, formerly known as Orphans No More. We are a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth in crisis through adoption, foster care, and kinship care. I am your host, Sandra Flack, fellow adoptive mom on this journey with you. This is our second episode of our dad series for the month of June. In honor of Father's Day, we are honoring our foster and adoptive dads. And we have another inspirational dad guest for us today. But first, uh, as promised, we are now arriving on your device by our new name, the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. As mentioned back in episode 320, uh, we were orphans no more. Uh, We started off as a radio program that ran about seven years on a local Christian talk radio station. Uh, Then we switched over to being a, uh, we were radio and podcast. And and then um, about three or so years ago, we became just a full podcast. And from that journey, we know now really who our intentional listeners are. And they are folks probably like yourself, adoptive, foster and kinship caregivers. So uh, we decided in order for uh, it to be easier for you all to find us or anyone who uh, is in the adoption and foster care or kinship care journey, uh, when they're looking for a podcast relevant, uh, we want to be easily found by them. So as of June 1st, 2022, we are now the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast. Same host, yours truly, same great content, same mission. We are here to serve you and encourage you on this journey. We know how hard it is. I personally know how hard it is. Um, So we're here to serve you. Uh, And if you have been a subscriber, you wouldn't you didn't have to do anything right this podcast just showed up by the new name uh where the old name would have been uh so you're all set but if you're not yet a subscriber please go ahead and subscribe today when listeners subscribe and leave a star review it signals to the algorithm you know that thing out there in cyberspace that we're not really quite sure how it works we just know it does something right um we want the algorithm to know that this podcast is relevant, it is important, and we want all adoptive foster and kinship caregivers to find this show because we believe it is a vital resource for the parenting journey. I know personally, this is a resource I wish I had 20 plus years ago uh, when we were first on this kinship and adoption journey. So we know it's valuable, I know it's valuable, um, and we hope you do too. And if you do, if, if 
if you find this show encouraging, let us know. Uh, leave a comment or uh, a question if you have a suggestion. Uh, of course, you can leave the review, but you can also reach out directly to me by email. My email address is sandraflackjfo at gmail.com. Uh, you can also reach me through the ministry website, justicefororphansny.org. This, this website is an extension of our faith-based nonprofit, Justice for Orphans. Um, and you can always reach us through either JFO or through my uh, email if you want to reach out because I really do answer those emails. I read them, I listen, um, and sometimes it, you know, we decide, hey, let's connect, let's do a Zoom call or a, a phone call. Uh, so we're here for you. This is a vital, uh, supportive resource for you. So please feel free to reach out. Also, stay tuned to the end of the show because I do have some uh, announcements, more resources coming your way, especially if you are parenting uh, children or a child who was prenatally exposed uh, to alcohol or other substances, whether or not they've got an official diagnosis or not, we have some uh, really valuable resources for you that we're, that we're rolling out here. Um, so you'll be able to learn more about those at the end. Um, so. Now to our guest, adoptive dad, Darren Washhausen. Darren and his wife, Stasia, have three children, one adult biological daughter and two young adult sons adopted internationally. Both Darren and Stasia work for Orphan Care Alliance, where Darren serves as the executive director and president and Stasia as Corporate Administrative Director. They're doing some amazing things out there in Kentucky and Indiana, and we're going to get to that. We're going to talk about it, and of course, we're going to find out about their adoption story. So please welcome to the show, Darren Washhausen. Hey, Darren. Hello, how are you? I'm great, and I'm thrilled to have you on the show today. Um, I can't wait to learn more about your work with Orphan Care Alliance, but First, let's get to the beginning of your family's adoption story. Uh, what led you and your wife, Stasia? Is that how we pronounce her name? Yeah, it's Stacia. Stacia. Oh, Stacia. beautiful. Very good. Um, what led you guys to adopt? Well, um, I, I would describe it as sort of one of those moments where uh, it, it was God that just kind of came over us, I think. And uh, I know that sounds maybe a little corny, but I will describe it a bit. But uh, we so we had um, we had an only daughter at that point and uh, we had had two miscarriages um, and this was in the late 90s. And then and we had actually kind of looked into adoption and thought, um, oh, that's not that's not really for us. And uh, we, we're not sure that we're we're good you know, to go with adoption as we understood it at this point in time. And so we um, just kind of dismissed it. And we just felt that God blessed us with a daughter and that was our family. And so we moved on a few more years and then we ended up um, relocating um, to Louisville at that point. And we were in church on a, on a Sunday morning and the conversation in an adult Bible study kind of toward turn towards um, kids trying to survive in South America and they were getting shot for stealing food for their families. 
And strangely enough, we came out of that, we walked out of class and the discussion wasn't, um, our, you know, do you think we should adopt? It was, uh, by both of us, the discussion was, so where, where are we going to go to adopt? You know, what's <laughs> the research that we should start? It's almost like it was almost a given for both of us. There was really not any discussion about, you know, should we embark on this journey? It was like, let's get the journey started. And I don't, I can't really answer it in any other way um, than that, except that we were just both moved in that moment without even conversing, coming out knowing that this is what we needed to do. And, uh, and that's that's what happened. And we we did so and, and didn't turn back. So, wow. Well, definitely a God thing. That's for sure. Uh, so, it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would. I mean, if, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. Me, too. And then in, in 2004, your first adoption, uh, Andrew from Russia. Correct. What led you to Russia and what was that part of your journey like? Because my family, we adopted from Ukraine, so I, I can relate to, you know, the adventurous yeah. part. <laughs> well, um, you know, I mean, it was a, a bit of a process. So, you know, we so the, the timing here is uh, um, the timing is we're in March of of. 2003. And uh, when we decided this decision and, you know, so there was about three months of research of, you know, where like we didn't even know step one. We just knew that this is what we were doing. Um, so, number one, we we didn't realize the problem here in, in the U.S. in terms of like kids, even in our own backyards that may have needed to be or could have been considered. We didn't know that at the time. Um, and then, so then we started looking at these countries pretty immediately and we, we, our first thought was Guatemala actually, but Guatemala was in a situation where, um, I think they, they weren't in a place where adoption was open at the time. There had been some things where they had closed adoption in that country. And so then that led us to, you know, looking at other countries and, um, we looked at Russia and Ukraine and I believe Belarus at the time is where we were kind of moved and, and heard more about, you know, adoption processes. And so we started to look into the Eastern Bloc area. And of those three, we we felt like um, we felt like Russia had the most mature kind of process. We had heard some stories around um, Belarus, especially um, where, you know, that just it wasn't a, a solid process that you could invest in and the child that you thought you were adopting wasn't there when you got there and different things were rumored at that point for us. And so we just felt like, you know, that Russia was a reliable, you know, adoption process to embark on. And we found what we felt was a, a good agency in the St. Louis area that we could work with and, um, and started in July of 2003. So... That's sort of how we got there. Yeah. Um, how how about so you started the process in in July of 2003. How long did it take you to actually cuz this is of course when Russia was still open. We can't, you know, not even counting the war right now. It's right. been closed for many years. But what was that process like? How long did it take? Well, so that's that's where, you know, felt like again, we had at this point heard most people taking somewhere between 18 and 24 months for adoption and 
So we started in July and we, um, we met Andrew in March and we brought Andrew home in April of 2004. So nine months is how long the whole process took. And yeah, and that involved um, two trips over. We made the first trip in March um, to, to meet him. Um, he was a year and uh, two days old when we met him. And then, you know, a month and about six weeks later, basically, we were able to go back over for the actual court appearances and the process of, of bringing him home through um through through all that legal you know process that you do so we he was in st petersburg we had to meet him there be in front of the courts then go to moscow and then you know go through processes to be able to have him leave the country and and uh come to the u.s then wow and how old was andrew at, at the time you adopted him so he was 13 months when um, when we came home. Yeah, 13 months. Very similar. I have friends actually who I think your timing almost overlaps. I'm not 100% sure, but they brought a little girl home who was about 13, 14 months old. Um, I, I think in the fall of early fall, right around that same time. So so that it's interesting how that overlaps. So, um, you know, as a mom of four siblings adopted from Ukraine, Uh, between 2007, 2010, I know the challenges families struggle with, you know, because of childhood trauma, uh, prenatal exposure to alcohol, Mm -hmm. which is very, you know, common in children adopted from Eastern Europe. Um, What, if any of those challenges did you face, did you guys have to navigate? Oh, we ran into them. Um, So, you know, I, I always tell the story because it's a humbling story, but, you know, um, as we raised our daughter, Britt, um, who at this point was around 12 or so years old and uh, 12 or 13 years old, um, you know, we, we had the thought that we were pretty good parents. And, <laughs> and so, you know, we tried to translate all those good parenting skills to, to our son, um, Andrew, who came home from, from Russia. And so, you know, in the very beginning seemed to be going well, but probably somewhere around, you know, four to six years old, um, we started to hit what I would, what I term as a train wreck in terms of our parenting. And, uh, you know, we, we started to become, um, um, well, we did a lot of things unknowingly wrong. Mm-hmm. And then we started to say, we, we definitely don't have this figured out and start in Stacia, you know, as a researcher and she started to definitely research, you know, what are we doing or what needs to be done or what, you know, what help can we find here? Um, and so that, that embarked on a lot of challenges, you know, at the beginning of that is where around, like I said, probably between four and six is where we realized something else was in play that we weren't able to put our finger on at the time. So at what point, um, yeah, I didn't want to interrupt, but at what point did you learn, you know, did you figure out, did you get a diagnosis? Did you learn, you know, the, the, um, did you meet Dr. Well, Karen I mean, Purvis? It, it was it was sort of all the typical. Yeah, it was sort of all the typical. I mean, you know, the first thing was, well, he has, you know, he's ADHD. And, you know, and, and so we started to work on some of that. And 
you know, he was super hyper and stuff. And then, um, you know, it moved into just different things, but, but on the parenting side, you know, we started to figure out, you know, we were using some biblical parenting kind of classes that didn't take in this, you know, trauma into consideration. Um, and we, we were able to get involved at that point early on, like became aware of empowered to connect. And, and so we started to look at that curriculum, um, and, and get some understanding around, wow, you know, we are maybe doing some things wrong. And, and we just knew that if we kept doing them the way we were, we were really concerned about where we would be with him in the, in the, as he got older. So, um, we started to try and learn and adjust, you know, our parenting around all of that. And, and then, you know, the, the diagnosis kind of stuff continued and, um, at some point we ended up going to Chicago to a place called children's triangle, where we went through a day long, um, sets of testing with, with Andrew, you know, and that's when they first started to say, look, you know, we are all, we, we are around the FASD kind of, a um, a diagnosis, you know, which, which led into some things with, concern, you know, certainly ADHD, FASD, and then concerned with some executive functioning types of things that they had run into as well. So um, at that point, you know, um, we continued to go deeper into, but, you know, so that's great, but how do we change what we're doing in order to, to, you know, accommodate, you know, better and better have a relationship with him um, was a lot of our focus at that point. So um, you know, it kind of led us down into, you know, today where we've, you know, took on, went beyond empowered to connect. We, we went to the, some of the stuff that with back to back and, and learned all of their, you know, um, curriculum. And then also went back and became TBRI practitioners because of, you know, what we were doing in ministry. Um, you know, we were starting to get, you know, probably somewhere around 2008, 2009, the phone seemingly was ringing off the hook with, with a lot of families that were going, wow, we, you know, we did not see what, what was coming when, when uh, we started here and now we're in the midst of this. So we sort of, you know, by our own needs and, and by the fact that we were part of Orphan Gear Alliance, just became deeply educated in, in a lot of these things around trauma. So, yeah, I love that because our, our story, my husband and I, we adopted our kid. We had three biological kids thought like, Hey, we know what we're doing, right? We can do this parenting thing. And then, you know, the Lord sort of snuck us in the back door is how I describe it sometimes and placed a relative child in our family. So we did a kinship adoption was never on our radar. And like you, like foster care, I didn't even know what that was until I think I went to my first Christian Alliance for Orphans Summit. And I came home from that thinking, oh my gosh, now we have to foster because, you know, it was like once your eyes are open and you see the needs, you want to meet yeah, all the needs. Yeah, like you right? can't unsee it, right? You can't unsee so. it. But, you know, so then we adopted internationally and, and we brought home, you know, through two ado- adoptions, we brought home four siblings from Ukraine. And it was, you know, once everybody was home, that's when, you know, the, the, the plane goes down, you know, burning because nothing that you know that, you know, successful traditional parenting tools, biblical tools, none of that works with kids with trauma histories. And so we, I read the connected child and that led to us going to some empowered to connect. I remember actually going to a couple with Dr. Purvis in person, still teaching. And then Mm -hmm. they started offering the, um, 
you know, the, the, the online one. And then, um, right. my husband and I became empowered to connect parent trainers, um, mm-hmm. so that we could help some families. And then more in the past few years, more recently, I've, I've kind of taken, taken a deep dive into the FASD because mm-hmm. our youngest two who are now teenage boys, uh, really struggling. And I was trying to figure out, is this COVID, you know, because of all the chaos of that, is it because, you know, is it attachment stuff? Is it trauma? Is it the FAS? Because they both have, you know, uh, fetal alcohol syndrome diagnosed. And it was kind of like, yes, the answer was yes, it's all of it. Um, But as the more I researched, you know, like Stasha was doing the research, I, I started realizing this FASD, they got diagnosed by a developmental pediatrician when they were like, maybe say eight and six, but it it was like, here's your diagnosis. Have a nice day. There were no resources. There was nothing. So we didn't know. Although I have to say that the TBRI stuff definitely works. I mean, that is definitely, um, you know, a a key part of this. Um, But then understanding the brain and the impacts alcohol has on the brain and then on development and on all of that, like you said, the executive function, all of those things come into play. So it's important to have that understanding. So we have similar journeys in that respect, which I think is- Yeah, I get that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, So, but then you weren't done. You didn't stop with Andrew. Next came Noah in 2011, adopted from uh, Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, what led you to adopt a second time and why Congo? Well, um, we've, we've thought about that one. I can't totally, you know, I even talked to my wife about this one a little bit, just trying to, to walk back through. But I think so we were involved at this point in Orphan Care Alliance. And, you know, we were um, and we were actually, you know, we had tried a few other adoption paths. And, and you know, we, we tried to, to adopt from Taiwan. And we also tried um, to look at a domestic adoption and, um, or, and it, we actually were looking at foster to adopt through, through the system here. And, and, you know, for, for whatever reasons, you know, I mean, um, you know, sometimes, you know, you just, you see what I would call God closing the door on something and you're trying to push upstream and it's, you know, he's like trying to say, you know, I'm trying to show you here. <laughs> and, and so sometimes I feel like we, we bumped into that and we kind of just recognized that uh, the Taiwan adoption went into a, a tizzy. And, and some of the reasons we selected some of these countries for consideration is we were getting older. And, you know, and so we were getting beyond some of the age brackets that some of these countries tend to look at when in, in adoption. And so. Um, so that was sort of narrowing the availability of where we could adopt internationally. And then, um, we tried the Taiwan thing. We, we thought we were going to be able to be successful there. And then China had changed some rules and then a bunch of people moved from trying to adopt from China to adopting from Taiwan, which sort of filled up the, the, uh, you know, if you will, a backlog of families trying to adopt from the same country. And so, you know, that became stagnant for over two years. And then um, what we were trying to do, you know, with a a few children here in 
um, more of the local area. Um, we, we, we were trying, but we were, you know, then at this point now you've got, you've got another adoptive child and, and we have an older, then the daughter was a little older and you're trying to kind of fit, you know, within the family from the age brackets and all that to the best of our ability, because we were always firm believers, like to kind of respect the, the age groupings and, and, uh, and so we were trying to do that and it wasn't working out. And so we, we kind of looked at, you know, there was, at this point, there was a lot of adoption going from Ethiopia and we were just noticing that there were some really, you know, children that needed support from Congo and that it was a more difficult country for children to be in. And there was some more going on at that time. And so we just felt called to, to look at Congo, I guess, is the best answer I can give. Um, and we thought we had found a few, um, children that were a bit younger than, than Andrew was at the time. And so, um, and we, and it was through an agency that was not too far from us. And we felt like, again, we could move forward there. And so, um, we did. And, uh, and that was sort of how we, we arrived. It wasn't in terms of where it wasn't so. It was more like, where, where can't we, now that we know where we can't now, you know, yeah. where can we, you know, consider adoption still. So, um, so we just felt like it, it was a, a call to do so and, and move forward. So wonderful. So, uh, how old was Noah when he came home? So that's kind of a trick question, um, <laughs> as can be in some of, of these adoptions, um, we were led to believe that he was seven, um, but through his own maturing, um, some bone scan type of things and some dental examinations and some of the things that were just knowledge for him and from his own admission, he was actually like four years older, but like very small and very, I would say, not well nourished. Um, and, you know, at some point when uh, you know, second graders are doing algebra in a pretty advanced way and things like that were triggers for us to say, you know, we need to review this. And then, you know, within about a year, um, he was growing facial hair <laughs> that would have been at eight years old. And so, you know, in reality, eight was 12 and, and seven was 11 is the best of our determinations of, of things, you know, putting together all the different pieces. And so, um, so he was actually a bit older and started to grow extremely rapidly as he was, you know, getting nourished from, from our house instead of, um, in Congo. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, I'll, I mean, he was 11, so <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a long story yeah. about that. Yeah. But, Do the math. Um, right. Wow. And I've heard, but I, I've but heard. I think, yeah, stories yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so um that's kind of what where it was. And um, but you know, it was good for our, our age as parents. I mean, it was it wasn't a negative in that way. I mean, it was just unexpected in terms of birth order kinds of things and um in, in our family at that point. So wow. Well, what was the adjustment like when Noah did come home aside from the age uh well thing? um there we had we had a lot of challenges you know just being um transparent we had a lot of challenges uh 
his his um you know as an older child um i would just say that at the end of the day um i'll start with that at the end of the day i feel like you know we were both he and us as parents as a family we were both deceived um and we you know like he was not of the age that we thought him to be and and some different things about him were not as as were described his story about his life was you know much different and he was able to kind of talk his story and part of us was trying to discern whether that was truthful or not truthful and it was very difficult it was against what the agency has had and was telling us um about him and so at the end of the day, he was angry at us for like taking him off the track that he thought he was to be on. Um, he thought he was, in his words, he thought he was being adopted by a family that had met him before that was from Italy. And, you know, we were told that he understood that he was and wanted to come to the U.S. And so it turned out and, and then we had a language barrier. He spoke French. We spoke English. We didn't understand at the beginning of each other very well. And it, it was very difficult because he was angry. He was angry that he wasn't where he thought he was going. And we weren't the people that he thought he was being brought to because of the situation in Congo. Um, there was a, an agent, basically a, an attorney agent that brought him from Congo to Chicago where we met him. We never did travel to Congo. And so, you know, his his first hours seemed to, you know, we couldn't understand some of his, his fears. But in, in retrospect, some of his first hours seemed to be like a very deep shock and trauma that I'm not where I thought mm. I was going to be. Um, and he blamed us for that. So like, and he, he was in the world of trauma. He was the freeze. He was the, not a fight, not a flight, but he was freeze. And so he was, he was shut down and we couldn't figure out, you know, a lot of things at the beginning. So. Wow. What finally turned that around? Was it just time? Well, um, time and, um, you know, I mean, so what, what ended up happening was, um, as he became a little bit more the older, apparent older and dominant one in our family, um, at some point there was some um, notion of danger in our home. And we, we had internal alarms in our home to kind of track where things were at night, which wasn't a good way to live. And, and it was very stressful. And so um, in some very tough decision-making, um, Noah ended up going to a, a, a Christian boarding school that we had found. Um, and we, we stayed in contact and did our best, you know, to support him through that, um, direction, um, for fear that if, you know, if things broke out in our home that we would, you know, lose one or both of these kids, which we didn't want to, to lose them, um, and so, you know, we did the best thing that we know how to do for our family at that point, which mm -hmm. wasn't, I mean, it, it honestly is a, a deep feeling of failure on a lot of, a lot of points as, as parents, you know, and, uh, but at the same time, you know, 
there was there was the broader piece of family that we were also trying to preserve and protect. And it was tough. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you were kind of given a, you know, an a, almost like a no win situation, just the way he was right. brought to you. And right. there was not truth told to him or to you and, right. and um, kind of like a perfect storm scenario. It, it truly was. It truly was. I mean, it, it caused us to question everything about ourselves, you know, sure. including what, you know, why are we leading this ministry? You know what? You know, and and in strange ways, as we out came out from that, you know, some of what we had been through, God used those stories to really pour into other families that have come our direction. But um, and even today, you know, a lot of that knowledge, you know, and, it, and for a while it took us, you know, a while to even want to share any of it. We were very, you know, quiet and and trying to contain all of it. And, you know, there was just a time when when we decided that our, I don't even know that we talked about it, but it was just opened up. It's like, look, you know, we're here to learn as much as anybody else. And we're not quite sure why God put us in front of this ministry, but (laughs) this is a struggle for us right now, you know? And, uh, and we were just kind of honest, which was very freeing. And it was amazing then, you know, how, how others came to us because we were willing to say, this is a challenge for us right now. Yeah. You know? And it, because it, it so. is a struggle and, and many families who find themselves in very similar situations and you feel like a failure and you don't want to be judged yes. and nobody really yes. knows what you're living through or with unless it's somebody on a similar journey. Right. right? And not only that, did they, did they get you, you know, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot, they, they didn't get it. It couldn't be in your place, like you said. And then they, and then when you tried, you know, some of them tried to understand, but then they, they couldn't really understand. Right. So you felt like you were, um, you just felt like nobody really understood. So. Yeah. Wow. Powerful. So now how old is, well, I want to talk about where both boys are at now, but since we were just talking about Noah, yeah. um, so, you know, a couple, you know, so this is where, you know, God is good. And, uh, so they're both, um, we're, we're in communication with both. And, uh, so, and, and in a, in a good way, um, so Noah is, he's 22 and he's currently in Reno, Nevada and some schooling to become in trades for carpentry. Um, we're in conversation. We speak every few weeks. Um, my, my wife is a little bit more and my daughter a little bit more behind in that conversation and that, you know, he was pretty tough on them, but, you know, after some conversations a few years back, um, he called on mother's day and, and said, I know what I put you through and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. And, um, and, you know, basically kind of opened the door for um, forgiveness for everybody. And it was good. And, you know, I mean, we're not done with that part of the journey and stuff like that. I have I have been the same myself a couple of times. And, um, you know, we we have a very comfortable relationship where, you know, like our last call was, you know, hey, this is what's going on right now. I'll probably connect with you and again in a few weeks. And, and I'm good with that. And I will, you know, we reach out to each other and he's been texting my daughter and my wife here and there. And so, you know, I mean, I'm, it's, it's maybe not what you originally hoped for, but it's good. And, uh, 
And then uh, Andrew is um, with us at home yet. He's um, he's pursuing music. Uh, he's a very he's a talented performer. He's he's like playing the local scene here um, almost every weekend. You know, in some some weekends, multiple nights in a weekend. And he's also going to school to be in recording arts to become like a, a sound engineer and and videography and stuff. And so. Um, he should graduate in August with that and, uh, you know, living at home and we have a good relationship with him and it's going well. And we're just, you know, with all of the different things, he, he seems to have a love in, in music. And that's where we're hoping that he'll find his successes and, and his ability to move into, you know, that as his, as his job because he loves it and it's a passion for him. So, um, you know, doing well overall, I guess is what I would say, um, with both of them and where, where I think, you know, on one hand you could say, well, you know, in your heart, you wish the outcome was a little different or a little better. And on the other side, it's like, geez, it could be a lot worse, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, so, so where I think we're thankful. And I think we would say that a lot of our, our, you know, work around trying to be different parents for, for those two, um, and different from our daughter has paid off because I, I would measure where we are right now as, as um, you know, successful in that they are both in connection with us. You know, that's the major thing that is important to us. So, yeah, that's, that's wonderful, really, because it could have, it could have been way worse, right? And so it's actually yes. pretty good. Um, your adoption journey eventually led you to the Orphan Care Alliance, a nonprofit on a mission to equip, connect, and mobilize churches to see vulnerable children and families, to serve vulnerable children mm -hmm. and families. Um, so, Darren, what led you, what brought you to Orphan Care Alliance? Well, um, it was almost a separate path in some ways, but I mean, I was, I was working with our church, you know, here about, um, where I was serving to, to work with, um, helping widows mostly within our church with some needs that they would have around houses and things like that. And, and kind of helping to project manage that kind of work. I would not call myself the most practical hammer <laughs> thrower sawer and drill person that you'd ever want to put on behind one of those things but uh so i was doing more with like helping to coordinate the the days of going to help widows and you know having a team and you know trying to help with getting making sure the right materials and what the what the jobs were and in 2008 when the economy got a little bit tough um, the church said that they were going to pivot in their direction. And I reached out to some people at the church and said, you know, I work all week. And when I, when I am serving, I would love to be doing something where my wife and I have, you know, um, a like passion. And the person at the church said, you know, there's a small group since you you've adopted, you know, there's a small group trying to start some adoption ministry work and maybe, um, I could get you connected to them and we'll see where that goes. And so they did. And that was late 2008. And in a short, what seemed to be a short few meetings later, the, the person who was leading that effort, um, um, it was grassroots. And the person who was kind of leading that effort said, Hey, I'm, I'm leaving the area. I'm going to go to Colorado to work for children's hope chest. And, and so we, we need maybe somebody to just kind of lead this small effort here in this area. And, 
it ended up being me that they wanted to ask to, to lead. And I, at the time it was, you know, I'm looking at it going, well, it's five hours a week. It's, it's not a big deal. We can get involved and we can kind of see if we can help to grow this. And so basically I, I used January, 2009 was that kind of point when I started to lead the effort. And, uh, you know, we, we turned it to a nonprofit officially. We, we kind of turned it into a, a legal entity in, in September of 2009. Um, and our big reason was, is because the goal of it was to be a parachurch ministry most people were trying to associate the effort as a part of one church when really there was there was families from three or four different churches involved. And so we were trying to just put a stake in the ground and say, no, we're a separate organization, independent from any of these churches, and we really want to be parachurch. And so that's kind of what got it started, you know, from that standpoint. Um and, you know, we started where we where we were, right? We were starting with how do we support more international adoption, but also we had become aware that there was some need domestically and how do we work with our local government about trying to pour into that? So that would have, you know, was where we were in 2009, um, trying to help foster families, trying to help foster families have a have community and connection. So... That's what got us started. Yeah. So now would you share what, um, how Orphan Care Alliance equips and mobilizes churches today? Because I know you're doing lots of things today. Yeah, we are. Um, so, so yeah, a couple of years ahead, you know, we, we, among the board and the people around us, we cast, we, we felt called, I mean, really prayerfully called that. Um, that we should serve our state, not just, you know, the Louisville area. Um, and, and we did kind of end up bringing along five counties from Southern Indiana because they're right across the river. And, you know, a lot of questions were coming from over there. And so we kind of included them in our region, but, but we set that region in 2011 and we've not wavered from it. And as we learned, um, you know, and as we, we worked more with the state and with other organizations in, in our community, we, we just started learning about more of the need that would stem from this. So, you know, it started sort of in the family support and helping families learn about adoption. And we were holding seminars and, and then, uh, you know, through going CAFOs and kind of learning, um, we would see other things that were around. So we started to learn about family preservation needs, you know, how do we keep kids from coming into care? And, and then somebody introduced uh, our first employee to us in 2010 as well, which was, you know, they were out helping youth that, you know, a lot of which had been from foster care in the unit, in the, in the community. And so we, we looked at what does it look like to life coach or mentor kids that are in foster care, especially knowing that, you know, they're just a trusting, caring adult may not be around them in their lives. And so we started to look at what we call life coaching today. And, um, you know, and so it kind of grew into this family support, life coaching, family preservation. And where we found, found our strength to be was make the church aware of all these needs and figure out where their heart's at and then becoming that connector to the the training or the the actual youth because at this point our relationship with the state was continuing to grow and we knew 
you know, kind of the, the where the foster kids were at. We know, you know, what their needs are. And we were able to take these families and churches that were interested and get them connected directly to youth that were in need, whether it was through organizations or the state directly. Um, and, and then families kind of as we as we were continuing to collaborate in the community, there was, you know, there was people who were helping struggling moms with they were going through pregnancy or they were going through um, maybe needing to go to some sort of a, of a addiction program or something. But they were scared to let go of their kids. They didn't want them to go into foster care. So we started to work with them. And so we would care for their kids while the other organization was helping the, the mom or the dad get through some sort of you know, um, recovery program. And, and yet they knew that their kids were safe and, and, you know, so family preservation was growing and, um, and that's, and then, and then it started to geographically kind of move out of the Louisville area into Lexington and now down to Bowling Green and where we have feet on the ground in Southern Indiana. And, and, and that's where we are. We're, we're sort of in that journey of growing out in the state and we're finding outside of Louisville, the resources are so much more scarce, you know, and so that's happened. And, um, and, and then, you know, in terms of state growth, um, 2016, 2017, you know, we, we told the state our viewpoint of what we could do to help in getting more foster parents and they agreed. So we entered a, a memorandum of understanding with them to do foster care training for them. And we still do that today. And, um, you know, as we as we talked on trauma, more organizations are like, mm, haven't heard some of that kind of, you know, trauma training before. And we we've been training foster parents, um, both in Indiana and in Kentucky around TBRI. And, and so we've taken on that journey as well. So, you know, it just continues to grow and evolve as as we see needs that are unmet. We're finding ways to pour in. So we don't replace a lot of good programs and grants and, and organizations, but we a lot of times find where there's a gap in their grant coverage or whatever that we can pour in and help. And at the end of the day, you know, we're the relationship people is what we are. Like we aren't the professionals in helping a youth get a job, but we are the person who has a relationship with the youth and encouraging them and helping them as they walk that journey to getting a job. So we, we, I think a lot of agencies have identified with us, you know, both secular and Christian in, in the state of, geez, you know, they're just that trusted individual who's walking alongside this family, this child, this youth, and, and they're just encouraging them and enabling them and maybe helping connect them to other resources that we can't. And it's almost being like a personal advocate while they're going through the given program or job or whatever the learning is that they're doing. So hope that wasn't too long. Wow. But no, I was there's a lot going on. It's exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's very exciting. And I was soaking it all up because it's incredible work. And I'm grateful that you're doing it. Where can our listeners learn more about Orphan Care Alliance? You guys must have a website. We do. We do. It is. And it is orphancarealliance.org. Um, and then we're on Facebook as, you know, OCA Kids. Um, and also on um, also on Instagram that way as well. So if you search at orphancarealliance.org, we should pop up there as well. And, you know, I mean, I think, and we, you know, as, as we were talking a little before, um, 
you know, we're, we're, we acknowledge and we're very firm that, you know, this is our region and we're, we're really trying to be dense and not grow outside of our region necessarily. But we share with so many other organizations like us, you know, I mean, we, we have relationships in Alabama and central Pennsylvania and, and uh, Georgia and South Carolina. And, and, you know, we just, we just all kind of share and work together and try and share best practices and ideas because, you know, it's about really getting more people in our, in our country invested in the kids in our country and the vulnerable families in our country. So we hold a lot of what we do loosely and share it out and also receive it in. So a lot of times we get calls and if we don't, if it's not about us or it's not in our area, we usually know somebody we can give you to, to connect in somewhere a little more locally to yourself. So, yeah, no, I love that. That's the Alliance piece, right? We're all, we all have a heart to serve and let's come, come alongside each other and, and, uh, and do what we can. I am curious because our, our organization, our name is justice for orphans and we call ourselves JFO a lot of times. And when you're working with, Uh, you know, state agencies, county agencies, even businesses. And sometimes I have even been questioned by pastors from churches, like, what's the thing with the orphan? Like we have orphan in our name. And sometimes people, it's a stumbling block for people. Have you run into that with Orphan Care Alliance? We, we did earlier on more so than now. I mean, most people use our, our, our acronym of OCA. Most people do that. Um, and, and, you know, when we do get questions, you know, I mean, the best way that I can explain it is, you know, you know, we, we, we don't hide the fact that we're a faith organization and we are trying to target the faith community to come out and help, you know, and, and find a place to serve and, and serve, you know, well in our communities. And, you know, the lingo of the church, they understand the word orphan, you know, um, if, if we go in and use the, the state vernacular, the state acronyms for a lot of these things, we, do, we don't get the identification of the need as well as when we start there. And we've even put little qualifiers out there here and there of our, our definition of, of orphan or fatherless is that, you know, when a, when a child doesn't have the opportunity to spend every day or each day with either their biological mom or dad, you know, they kind of fall into the scope of those that we want to help. So, you know, if a youth is with grandmother or with, with an aunt, then we want to, we want to help grandmother and aunt to do their, their best to raise that child. And, you know, I mean, I think that's kind of the modern day scope of, of what we see. Um, and, and a lot of the same tools and needs that they have are the ones that, that, you know, kids who are truly orphan have and so why why not try to serve that population yeah so. yeah i hear you because that's the same thing you know where we, we kind of i'm tracking with you because we do the same thing and but it's interesting you know i've even i have had even a pastor say what what is the you know what is it with the orphan because it's like a you know a bad word or something you know and we're like yeah. any child that needs you know a Every child deserves a safe, loving family, and sometimes right. it's biological. Sometimes it's a foster family, adoptive family, kinship. But we yeah. want to make sure this child is is got that stability. So um, right, yeah. I mean, if you roll back truly to like when we adopted in two thousand three, I mean, I, I joke sometimes that you know from the church perspective, they felt that all the orphans were in third world countries that we needed to go rescue out of those countries.
countries, you know, and right. even that philosophy is much more different today. Yeah. So much more work is being done indigenous to yeah. those countries because they think that there's less trauma involved in all that. But the learning curve of where we were when we started was there, right. you know? Right. And, and, uh, and so, you know, the name fit the time, the need at the time. And as it's evolved, you know, I mean, our evolution is drop the name off the logo to, to go by the, you know, the, to get people to identify our brand as OCA. But at the same time, our roots are what they were. And at that time, that was appropriate. And so, you know, we've chosen to not try to make a name change. And, and uh, it, is, it is the heritage of, of this, this wave or this era of adoption in, in the church and as the faith community reengaged. So, you know, I mean, we feel like we're, we're just moving forward and not know much looking back. Yeah, so. we've done the same thing. We're not changing the name from Justice for Orphans, but we do go by JFO. So our logo was rebranded yeah. to be to be JFO. Um, we have the same mm-hmm. color scheme and all of that. Yeah. So we haven't changed our mission or our vision or anything, right. just the logo. So it's a little bit more user friendly, so to speak, and it doesn't yeah. kind of step yeah. s- step up people. So love that. I, I was just very curious. So um I want to make sure we will include links to your organization in the show notes for this episode. But as we wrap up, um, as you know, you know, firsthand, the adoption and foster care journey is challenging. So would you share some words of encouragement for fellow parents today, especially dads, because we're focusing on dads this month, um, parents who are navigating this journey? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, as we're, we're, you know, what I would call on the other side of, of, you know, raising our, our children into adults. Um, you know, one, one time when I was pretty discouraged, you know, someone told me, um, a piece of wisdom that I haven't forgotten. It's like, you know, this journey may not look exactly like you and your wife thought it was going to look, but I can assure you that, that the children that you've invested in are far better off had you never embarked on it, number one. And number two, just because, you know, it's not looking like you want it to look, you know, God knew exactly what it was going to look like. And, you know, and he can, he can take care of the places that you feel like you've fallen short. And I feel like, you know, probably 10 years after that wisdom was given to me, I feel like I've seen it. I see it, you know, maybe my family doesn't look exactly like we wanted it to. And maybe, you know, there's some places of shortfall along the way, but I feel like, you know, God has brought us to this other place, which is, is peaceful and that there's communication among all of us and there's connectedness. And, you know, I, I think that I see, you know, three children that are, that are embarking on, you know, their dreams and, um, you know, that we're able to share in that. Um, and so I, I think that sometimes in, in the middle of it, you know, it doesn't seem right, but if you keep a, a God perspective on what's happening and what you have been able to do, um, it's, it's, it's an encouraging journey and we, we have changed. I am a better person. And we were talking to some people this morning in our office about trauma and I will tell you that I, I said to this person who's, who's older than I, I said, you know, this journey has made me a better person than when I started. I said, I, I, there's no doubt that I have more compassion and more humility 
and um, more reliance on the Lord than I did when I started it. And uh, I feel like today I'm a better person, despite the, the maybe the wrong turns along the way than I was when I than when I began. So. Oh, I hear you. I can I can totally relate to that. And when I when our first you know non biological child came in, our the little girl who was eight that we took in as a kinship, we didn't know anything about trauma. I wouldn't have even gone looking for a book about it because we we just we didn't know. I think it's Jane Schooler who once told me we don't know what we don't know. Right. <laughs> so we didn't know. Exactly. So we made so many mistakes. We did everything all the wrong ways. And it wasn't until many years later when we were getting, you know, the Empowered to Connect teaching and I read The Connected Child and I started learning about trauma and then learning about even FASD, I started realizing, oh my goodness, we failed. You know, if I could do anything yeah. over, yeah. it would be to go over. That's a sinking moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If I could just go back and do all of it again with the 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 skills you know those tools of you know trauma competent parenting and understanding FASD and all of that that's what I I would love to be able to go back and do over but our daughter who is now uh, she was eight when she came but she's now 31 uh, expecting her first baby she and her husband and she extends great grace to us because you know we've had these conversations she and I and I just mm -hmm. I've apologized like we did not know and I wish I could go back yeah. and do it all over again and you know so I come to it like that and she comes to it like hey you know I would have been in such a horrible place if you and dad didn't take me in like you saved me kind of thing and I don't care you know I don't have to hear those words but just knowing right. that you know she's on her own two feet she's doing well it took many years like she had some like her her teens and her young adult years were very, very difficult and challenging. Um, but she's finally settled and she gets it mm -hmm. and she's in a much better place. And we're grateful yeah. and we're rebuilding that relationship, you know, like those do overs and, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, those giving yeses and all those things that we learn yeah. in that training. Um, yeah. They can be 31 and it still works yeah. when you're rebuilding those yeah. relationships. So I hear I you. Too. Yeah, we're much better off, uh, so. better people ourselves, for sure. Yeah, I think so. I really do. Yeah, I agree. So. Totally agree. Darren, thank you so much for sharing your story and for the wonderful work that you guys are doing over there. Orphan Care Alliance based in Kentucky and parts of Indiana. Um, love what you're doing. Hope we can connect at CAFO in Atlanta this year. That would be super fun. We'll do a selfie. Um, but <laughs> thank you so much for, for your story and no for taking the time and for joining us today. And have a happy Father's Day. Well, thank you. Wow. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I hope you found some encouragement by listening to Darren's story today. I know that I did. Uh, be sure to check out the show notes for this episode where you can find links uh, to the Orphan Care Alliance website. They are doing amazing things. Um, so you want to make sure you check that out. Also, I want to remind you about our FASD 101 training that I'm currently offering online or in person. Uh, we created a three-hour training about FASD for parents and professionals. Um, we can, you know, pare it down to uh, shorter than that, but right now it's a full three hours um, with, with breaks built in there, of course. So soon you will be able to register for the training from our website, 
justicefororphansny.org. Um, but our, our whole website is undergoing a, a, a makeover and I cannot wait for the big reveal, Uh, but it's not ready yet. It should be ready probably uh, maybe the end of June here. Um, I'll be letting listeners know when you can go check out, check it out. It'll be the same, same web, same website, just all, all updated. Uh, So you'll be able to register for trainings right from there. But right now, if you are interested in having me come present uh, in person, uh, or we could do a virtual, um, this training is wonderful for support groups, adoptive or uh, foster parent groups and trainings, uh, agencies, organizations. Um, it's designed for that perfectly. You can contact me. You can email me, sandraflackjfo at gmail.com. Or again, you can visit the website, justicefororphansny.org. And we will let you know um, if you want to uh, set up one where we can do a group training, or if you want to attend a group training that's already in, uh, that's already scheduled. So you can find out, find it all out there. Uh, We also have something special brewing up beginning in September, which September is National Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder Month. Um, So we're going to roll out uh, this special treat for you. Uh, It's in collaboration with another FASD adoptive mama, one of my good friends, and we call each other soul sisters. We support one another on this journey. We're not even in the same state. We once were, but we are not even in the same state. Um, But we have a lot of similarities, a lot of things in common. And um, not only are we adoptive moms of kids with FASD, but we are passionate about supporting other moms on this journey. So, um, you know, we're going to be doing a support group. We're going to be rolling out a community where we're offering lots of different ways that you can connect and be part of a of a community of folks who are on similar journeys. So stay tuned for that. Specific details and things will begin to roll out this summer, um, but that's all coming up in September. So stay tuned to this podcast and to our social media to learn more. Um, If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to let us know by subscribing and leaving a review and let your fellow adoptive and foster friends know uh, that about the show so that they can listen and be encouraged and equipped too. You can check out my family's kinship and adoption story in my book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. It is available wherever you buy books. If you order on Amazon, I would love it if you left a review on there. Uh, If you would like a signed copy, which includes a special gift bookmark, I sign it and mail it out to you personally. Um, You can order it from my website, sandraflack.com. There you'll also learn more about me. You can read my blog uh, and you can contact me for speaking opportunities. Uh, And I'd also like to give a big shout out, super important that we acknowledge those who are supporting us and helping us do what we do. Our Care Portal County sponsors, Tri-Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Bowdry Construction, and National Bank of Cooksaukee. These businesses care about children and families in crisis, and they help us do what we do for you. Uh, Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. You can also find me, Sandra Flack, on both Facebook and Instagram as well. Love to connect with you. I am grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today, and I'm thrilled to have you along for the journey. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.